electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast, the bank rescued by the banks. First Republic getting billions from the nation's blue chip banks to shore up its balance sheet. This on the 15th anniversary of J.P. Morgan's fire sale purchase of Bear Stearns. Plus, a new shot across the bow for TikTok. The Biden administration threatening to ban the social media app if the Chinese do not sell their stake. Could Beijing bite back and retaliate against our tech titans? And later, inside the mind of the individual investor, we'll hear why the anxiety index tracking the group is screaming like a toddler who dropped their ice cream. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Karen Feinerman, Carter Worth, Guy Adami, and Tim Seymour. We start off with the latest news out of the Fed. The central bank just releasing details on its latest balance sheet, showing just how much banks tapped its lending window this past week. Steve Leisman joins us now with, a, uh, with some new details here. Steve. Yeah, Melissa, we have some new numbers, some big numbers, but we don't necessarily have answers about what all these numbers mean. Let me walk you through it, and I'll tell you what we know and what we don't know. Okay, so the Federal Reserve balance sheet increases by $297 billion. That's the most we've had since the pandemic began and the Fed started liquefying the economy again. The borrowing of the discount window was a record. It was up by $148.2 billion to $152 billion. That's a big number for them to take from the emergency discount window. The new Fed facility we have, borrowing of $11.9 billion. Now, half of that increase in the 297, remember that number at the top? That was from a bridge loan to the failed banks. Okay, what we don't know, Melissa, and I'm preempting a question you're going to ask me because they asked me this in the last half hour, is all this inflationary? Is all this going the other way? Well, we don't know because a couple things. What we don't know is, was this one bank, two banks, three banks, or a whole bunch of banks borrowing from the window trying to liquefy themselves? Also, at the window, at the, at the new Fed facility, it was only open since Sunday, so we don't have a feel for how much liquidity is needed there, for example, over the course of a week. The other question is, are these going to be held as reserve balances, as in not really something that's going to be the source of additional lending, or is it going to be something that will, that will be the source of additional lending? So it's hard to say that just because the balance sheet went up, Melissa, that necessarily this is the font of new lending and potentially inflationary. We have to understand more about where this money went and whether or not banks are going to husband that liquidity or they can potentially lend it out. So, Steve, in terms of who has access to the window, do we, I, I assume that we don't know who went to the special window. Will we ever know that? Um, and will that be made public? And, and could that be a reason why banks are reluctant to use that window? Um, and for how long will this window be open? And who is the window opened for? Is it everybody? So um, would you write in your calendar, Melissa, to call me in March of 2025? Because right. that's when we're going to learn who the actual borrowers were at really? the window. It's a two-year delay. I don't know if you want to, if you're going to want to come back two years from now and figure that out. But it might be an interesting story back then. Um, it could just be, by the way, it could have been the couple of the banks that have been having trouble. They could have taken down substantial parts of the lending at the window. It could have been other banks that went to the new facility, which is uh, a little bit of a better deal, I think, because you can take your 
uh, um, your paper, which is trading or discounted, and you can borrow against it at par value. So uh, there may be just a few banks who did that. There may be more on the way. Uh, and so we'll see, Melissa, whether or not this is a sign of additional stress. Was it prudent on the part of banks or was it a sign of stress? We're going to have to watch this over time, see what happens to window borrowing. So, Steve, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. The, the window, the special new borrow at par, that number looks actually tiny to me, right? We've had, it doesn't right. just apply to Signature, Silicon Valley, and First Republic. And if so, I mean, and if it applies to everybody, then that number is, is minute. And so I'm wondering, what first, does it just apply to them? Even if it does, it's still a really small number. And the rest of that held maturity portfolio actually went up since Monday morning. And when does this this close? So Would just, we get this data as of today or what's it as of? OK, so it's as of close of business Wednesday. OK, so there were only three days for it to be open. Karen, you may still be right that it's small for having only been open three days. What may have happened is the stresses in the banking system manifested themselves Thursday and Friday of last week. And that's where the substantial takedown of the existing window happened. Then the new facility opens up and they borrow what ended up being about $12 billion from that new facility. And it may have been the idea that it was relatively new and there wasn't big takedown there. So we'll have to see. You're raising a good point. Does that mean that there weren't stresses in the system because they only took the $11.9 billion? Or does it mean that they, it was just too new for them to actually use it? Steve, I ask this knowing you will know the answer. And you're one of the few people equipped to answer. At its max, what was the Fed's balance sheet? I think it was approaching $9.5 At its trough recently, what was it? What's it now? And does this mean it's the end of QT? Yeah, okay, hang on. I, I think the max was, I'm going to give you that in just a second here. Uh, the computer is a little bit slow, my friend. I think it was 8.9, but I could be wrong about that. It looks like 8.9 is the number that I have, just FYI, in case you're interested. I don't remember seeing 9.5. It might have been there, uh, but I have 8.9. At the lowest level yet, if I have to go to the right just a little bit, was the week before last, it was 8.3. So now it's back up to 8.6. I don't think this is the end of QT. Guy, it's an interesting question, and let me just tell you how much I hate actual talking about the innards of the uh, banking system in America, but, uh, uh, or actually globally. But let me just say this. It could be that you have an increase in reserves because banks are worried about their balance sheets and want to hold on to reserves. So the thing the Fed is going to want to track is the treasuries and securities on its balance sheet. Are those still rolling off? There could be other increases in the balance sheet from other sources. It's an incredibly complicated behemoth here, Guy. And um, I think this is not necessarily the end of QT. I think the Fed still wants to be reducing its balance sheet. But to the extent that there are these kind of disruptions of liquidity, it's going to increase its balance sheet in order to liquefy the system. All right. So, Steve, maybe I'm being obtuse about this. But the bottom line here, is it is it somewhat assumed that the 148 uh, billion dollars uh, in, in increase in, in going to the wind the, the pre-existing window was actually taken down by banks who needed the money. So it's that plus the 11.9 is what we should think about as added liquidity for the banks, added capital. You know, Melissa, that was really good. That was really good, Melissa. You just did that perfectly well. If you would like to take the job 
from me of doing this uh, balance sheet analysis of the Federal Reserve. You've all of a sudden shown yourself on national TV to be perfectly capable of doing so. You're absolutely right. It is those two uh, numbers, the 148 plus the, plus the 12, that's $160 billion. Um, what we don't know is was it one or two banks or three banks or four right. banks or was it widespread in the system? And I don't think we can know that. Okay. March 2025. I've got it in the book, Steve. Thank you, as always. Great to see you, Steve Leisman. Um, does this make you feel better about the banking system, that there is $160 billion on their balance sheets in some way that we didn't know was put there? I don't know. Does anybody just take the money, right? Whether or not they need it? Yeah. Just to have liquidity. If everything is melting down around you, wouldn't right. you go to the window when you could? Yes. I, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. So yeah. I'm not really sure. Um, and then th- there's a different interpretation, which is, oh, my God, that's a lot of money, but <laughs> not relative to the needed. entire banking system. Right. Right. You know, it's so hard to know. But I think the most important development vis-a-vis all of this is just what people anticipated. In an environment like this, it's flight to quality. If J.P. Morgan as a bank's relative performance peaked at the COVID low, meaning relative to the BKX index, it's been underperforming since then. COVID hits, and what happens to JP Morgan on a relative basis, even though the stock is sinking, is making big new relative highs. Only today did it get back above that high from the COVID low, meaning you're seeing the flight to quality that was anticipated the moment the trouble started to hit the tape. All right. Um, let's get to First Republic and more on, on the regional banking sector mm-hmm. overall. The embattled regional... First Republic getting a $30 billion capital injection today from 11 major banks, including J.P. Morgan, Citi, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Goldman and Morgan Stanley. The deal was officially announced a short time ago in a joint statement from Treasury, the Fed, the FDIC and the controller of the currency. So does this put an end to the turmoil that has roiled the regional banks over the last week? Here to break that down, Chris Marinak, the head of research um, at Janney Montgomery. Chris, great to have you back. Uh, you. you made the comparison uh, to a banana peel uh, in terms of what the sector was going through. Uh, now, with some hindsight and some developments, do you still feel the same way? Sure. I mean, this is a solvable problem, and I think that the um, $30 billion today really helps. Uh, this is a sign of solidarity from several banks, and they're stepping up. And this is important because it is um, cash and deposits, not equity uh be a preferred or common. So this is not a real bailout from the sense of taking equity in the company, but really providing them a lifeline, additional liquidity, and in really many respects, returning the deposits that fled in the past seven days. Those were deposits that were at First Republic last Wednesday and uh, fled the scene, and now they're coming back from these banks. So it's almost returning to Caesar what was his originally. So as I understand it, Chris, this this commitment of capital is uh, in place for 120 days. What happens after that? Is there some assumption that there will be some sort of dilution at some point in terms of issuing uh, equity to these banks in some form? Just trying to piece together why the stock would fall so precipitously in the after hours. So I think the common dividend has been suspended, and I believe that has more to do with the stock trading since 4 p.m. That common dividend uh, means a lot to a lot of investors, and it's a a negative on the short term, but it's a suspension. And so uh, I'm not assuming that that is permanent. It may well return in future quarters. The company certainly has to right size. Uh, We think many banks have modest holes on capital uh, due to the um, held to maturity securities and the unrealized losses that goes back to square one. Uh, from what happened at Silicon Valley last week. And the capital uh, repair may be done by the banks on their own through retained earnings and suspending buybacks. In many cases, I think they can self-help themselves. 
most of these securities are amortizing and having some payoffs. It's just not happening as quick as we all would like, but it is a solvable problem. I think equity and uh, some issuance to the banks who participated is, again, very unlikely. I think they're more giving deposits and returning what fled to, uh, from First Republic to their banks in the past several days. Chris, it's Karen. Let me ask you, even if you don't think they're going to give uh, they're going to do an equity deal with some of these depositing banks, do you think they do an equity deal in the markets to try to you know, shore up the balance sheet while they continue <clears throat> to maybe approach the new special window and get their duration back closer to where it should be? So the need for capital really is a question, Karen, of how big the balance sheet is. If they've shrunk in the past week, and I suspect they have, then the need for capital could be actually less than we think. I do believe that many investors who pulled deposits from First Republic were doing it just out of an abundance of caution to see if the bank would fail. And to some extent, that has made the situation worse the past few days, and, and now we have to see some of that come back. So if we give them another couple of weeks and months, this can stabilize, and then the bank sees where their new pro forma balance sheet is. Um, capital most likely will happen because I think they're going to want to record the unrealized loss in some form or fashion, or at least have a roadmap for how those securities are going to transition and then uh, do some type of restructuring. Again, I don't think it has to be the entire book. It could be a portion. And I think having better information about what is was going to amortize and the cash flows that were coming from the portfolio is going to be useful uh, to investors. And I think we'll get more of those details in the weeks ahead. There are a number of super regionals, Chris, who contributed to uh, this deposit transfer to First Republic. Does that make you feel better about, about their state of affairs? Sure. I think it's the right thing to do for these banks. They're helping out their, their brethren. But that uh, they're, all these banks they're able to help out their brethren. <laughs> <laughs> Instead Correct. of saying, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to pass on this because I might have to do my own. I think a lot of them view that this was a uh, very unique circumstance and that uh, letting First Republic fail uh, was not good for the system, which therefore is not good for them. And so it's better to keep their competitor alive and let them fight for another day. And I think to some extent they would like to get uh, reciprocity if they were in the same situation down the road. So I believe that's part of the mission here. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was started on phone calls the past 24, 48 hours of, you know, what can we do to help? Uh, and I think that's why you had so many banks step up in this regard. Chris, thanks for your time again. Chris Maranak. My pleasure. Tim, what do you make of all this? A lot of lots happened over the past 24 hours. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's interesting because if you think about some of the things that Chris was talking about in, in, in terms of also capping on, on dividend payouts and, and whatnot, it, it brings into question right away as an analyst or what, what, what's the analyst community do to banks in terms of the discount factor of where we are today versus two weeks ago. The other interesting thing about First Republic, and he just mentioned, are, are they going to try to realize that unrealized loss because so much pain's already been endured? It's almost uh, as if the market has priced that in. And do other banks do that? Because at a time, and I, I guess not at a time when when the the confidence factor is so difficult but um, when you consider all the reinforcements that that at least the banks have explicitly or implicitly and, and I think that's the fascinating thing but I, I go back to where I was you know three or three or four days ago even before um, the good news and the and the cavalry rode in I, I just think that banks who had struggled for for years to earn a better multiple from the investment community partially because they were giving capital back partially because they could give capital back and that included regionals and maybe they shouldn't have been. Uh, I think we're in a very different place for the banking system, and I think that discount remains for you know foreseeable. You're out of your First Republic trade, right? Mostly, Mostly. yeah. I got out into work. I mean, the, the the 
preferreds traded up. The options traded down as there seems to be somewhat of a cap here. It's fascinating to me, though, if you assume the discount on all the less than great stuff delivered to the window was 25 percent, which would be a decent sized haircut. They've only really helped out three billion dollars worth. Right. Which is kind of amazing. Amazingly small. Yes. Yes. Amazingly small. So talk about the broader market quickly, because I know Carter's views on it. So where we close to the S&P is effectively the 200-day moving average. I mean, all this stuff gets us back to where we were the day that Mike Wilson, if you remember, put that tactical bull call on. But I asked Steve that question for a very specific reason. If we're through this and effectively QT is still on the table and the Fed has saved, air quotes, the banks, then we're right back to where we were but the problems we've all been pointing out yeah. for the entire time. Inflation is still a problem. The Fed is still hiking rates. And there's still la- this lag effect. And on top of that now, banks' earnings power, regardless of where rates are going to go, are going to be diminished given all this stuff. Right. So I get why it's bullish in the short term, but nothing's changed in the long term. You know what was really bullish in terms of moves today? Tech. <laughs> the big tech comeback. Let's talk about that. The flight to FANG picking up even more steam today with mega caps like NVIDIA, <clears throat> Alphabet, Microsoft all posting outsized gains. The so-called FANG Plus names up more than 3% today, nearly 10% this week, crushing the S&P and other indices. So is this the ultimate there is no alternative trade. Carter, I know you're going to have some sort of pithy remark that knocks down this whole <laughs> oh, tech oh, trade. So on. I'm, I'm going to go first I'm to not, you. Not, well, so it's a defensive thing to some extent, right? So if you're very worried about a cyclical issue in the economy or a real re- contraction, you either go to staples, but they're always expensive and have no growth, or you hide in defensive names, which are moat-like names, which have growth characteristics that can endure even in a bad economic environment. And we have a real spread now. All of this money has gone into tech. You have bifurcation at the sector level. I mean, tech, telecommunications, consumer are all up more than 10%, while you've got energy, in, healthcare. In what time frame? Uh, Year-to-date. Year-to-date, yeah. Yeah, and healthcare and others down 10. You're getting 2,000 basis points of spread. That's about where it ends. But you see it mostly in the equal weight versus the actual. The S&P itself right, versus the equal weight. The equal weight S&P is down almost 300 base points because what's happening, the big tech are keeping the thing from getting worse. Yeah. Tim, you're not going to stand in the way of this freight train, it sounds like, in terms of NVIDIA. Well, you know, as I announced earlier, um, look, I took off half that NVIDIA short because that was a world that also existed before you had this bigger Mm -hmm. flight to quality in tech. and, And part of my my call on NVIDIA was I just thought chat GPT was way overdone. I mean, look at what Google's done on, on the way back if they were supposedly sunk by chat GPT. So, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to die on that hill. I, I would also though point to 12 and a half percent in the last 48 sessions on the S&P, excuse me, on the triple Q's on the Nasdaq 100 outperforming the S&P takes you back to, to kind of key relative levels all the way back to August of last year. And I, at some point, I think you've priced in a lot of flight to safety and a lot of fresh round of Tina, et cetera. Um, I, I don't you know, I know what the expression is when we, there's many different versions of this. But, you know, my version is that when policymakers start scrambling, you know, markets start rambling. And, and, you know, I, we got that this week. And, and I, I, you know, I'm not sure how much more of that we can get. Uh, I would also just point to where we have been on sentiment. Everybody's reading the same uh, sentiment indicators of the retail investor. And I know we're going to talk later on in the show about this uh, with Caleb. So I, I just think markets um, should have bounced here. Um, policy response this strong is very good news. But we're, we're also at some, some important technical levels, I'd say, on the way up that maybe run into some gas. You paid this guy. Microsoft is a $2 trillion company, and I'm going to answer your question. In the course of a month, 
It went from 275 to 245, and now it's 275 again. And this is, again, this is not a biotech stock. It's a $2 trillion company. So you trade it. But yes, at these levels, to Tim's point, I mean, things are now over their skis. The policy response makes all the sense in the world. But you have to ask yourself, what has really changed on the ground? Not a lot. Coming up, we've got an earnings alert on FedEx shares surging after its latest results. We're bringing the details from the quarter next. Plus, David Rosenberg joins us in just a few to lay out what he is seeing for the markets and the Fed and why the Fed's next moves could be futile. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on FedEx. The stock taking off after delivering a strong bottom line beat, 68 cents above estimates. FedEx also hiking its full year EPS guidance as the company moves ahead with a massive cost-cutting effort. Let's bring in Frank Collin for more on this. Frank. All right, Melissa. Strong forward guidance for EPS. It seems to be what's moving this stock higher. Big raise here. 1460 to 1520 a share, well over estimates of 1356 a share. This, of course, as you mentioned, FedEx undergoes a cost-cutting and business transformation effort called Drive. FedEx also demonstrating strong pricing power. Express per package revenue rising 3%, ground per package revenue rising 11%, freight revenue per shipment rising 21%. The Memphis shipping giant raised its prices back in January. This stock often trades on margin. Express margin actually came up short at 1.2%. That's FedEx's core business, where it gets just about half of its revenue, but strong beats for ground and freight margin. The one thing you could say that was missing here is details on the progress of of the drive initiative. FedEx will have a briefing here in New York City on April 5th, Melissa. All right, Frank, thanks. Frank Holland, what a change. Um, What do you see in the charts? It's pretty darn good, meaning if, if perspective weakness comes from exceeding previous if strength comes from excessive weakness, this is a perfect example of that. This stock was down almost 60%. It peaked before the market peaked, and it bottomed before the market bottomed. And we have all the things we want. Bullish price volume correlation, good relative strength to the market. And you have a circumstance where an estimate has come in, and the beat is so beyond what many smart people thought it would be. They're caught off sides. You'll get follow-through. Tim, I think you're in both. Uh, so at this point, after yep. this print... Would you rather, if you had to choose? 
Uh, I, look, I, I think with this kind of momentum and, and certainly these upgrades and, and a lot of, um, I'd say, structural things at least still ahead of them, but on repair and also an inventory bottom, it's FedEx. It's a long way of saying I, I just think um, it, it, you know, the multiple is a little more attractive when you consider where we are with markets right now. And, and, and again, I think that inventory um, kind of bottoming process is in their favor. Current levels of trades less than 14 times next year's numbers. Finally, seemingly getting their act together. Carter's right. I mean, the trend line that he speaks to goes back to, I think, the spring of 21. And in terms of operating margins, I think this is important. Frank mentioned Express. Yes, it was disappointing. That's half the business. Overall, though, if you add them all together, operating margins came in about a percent better than expected, 5.3 versus 4.3. I think the market is finally realizing that maybe they have they being FedEx has figured it out and it should no longer trade at a trough multiple. Well, the multiples, as it should, rising because they, they have delivered good for them. Um, it's surprising to me. Why give big guidance, right? They've never been great at knowing their guidance right. with, you know, no clarity beyond one quarter. Maybe because they are so confident. We've heard how confident they've been in the past, but good for them. They do <laughs> seem to be definitely making headway, so good for them. I'm in UPS instead. Uh, UPS, the, the, they've narrowed, so we're looking at maybe 15 times versus... 16 and a half times or so for UPS. But so they deserve to make some of that up. Um, and also the one thing FedEx has a little more international exposure, which probably is a good thing to the extent that China opens. They have more exposure than UPS outside of the United States. All right. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. TikTok's pain is Snap's gain. The UK taking a big stand against the Chinese video app. Could the U.S. mimic those moves? The details next. Plus, stocks surging. But are banks out of the woods yet? Why our next guest says financial risks remain front and center. And what he expects the Fed to do next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was a year ago today that the Fed started raising interest rates for the first time since 2015. After eight hikes, the target rate is at its highest in 15 years. But the latest turmoil in the banking industry has some thinking the central bank may be ready to pause. Hear what big short trader Steve Eisman said to us last night on the decision the Fed has to make. The Fed won't be raising rates because it's scared. Well, if the Fed is scared, you should be scared. Mm -hmm. You know, on the other hand, if the Fed raises rates even in the face of this by 25 basis points and does and says that we're not, we still could raise more, then that's like, wait a minute, you're sort of caught between a rock and a hard place. Financial conditions have really tightened, but you still have inflation. It's not clear. It's not clear either move is good. Let's get more on the Fed's next move with David Rosenberg, founder and president of Rosenberg Research. David, do you agree with Steve in that it's sort of a, a it's a pickle. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if, if either um, is a good choice here. Well, uh, 
remember that uh, it was just uh, over a week ago that Jay Powell was nurturing the market uh, uh, into believing that uh, we're going to have 50 basis points. Uh, I think right now the, the Fed is probably going to do what the markets have got priced in. Uh, and that changes by the day. So let's assume that uh, things in the financial markets and the banking system can stabilize in the next week. Uh, they're probably going to go 25 basis points. Uh, they're not going 50. Uh, I think they should do nothing. Uh, and I was saying that after the Bank of Canada did nothing after their last meeting. Uh, and you could argue that Christine Lagarde sort of uh, with her 50 basis points today sort of gave the green light for the Fed to do something. And I think the Fed wants to do something. I think that they want to signal to the market, uh, even in this turmoil, that they haven't taken their eye off the inflation ball. But 25 basis points here or there. I, I mean, look at what financial conditions have done just over the course of the past few weeks. They've tightened dramatically. Uh, and I think that's altered the equation for the Fed after this meeting. The more important <laughs> question isn't whether they could do 25 or nothing next week. It's really what's the end game? And so I think that if you're going to ask me that question, I think the end game is next week, no matter what. It's interesting, David, because you look at the housing numbers that came out, the job market is still, you know, as tight as it's been in quite some time. And I, I'm one of these people that doesn't think they can thread this needle. But all the things on the ground suggest their job continues to get more and more difficult. So if they say 25 and done, in my opinion, just opens the floodgates for asset prices to go higher, we're off to the races, the housing markets, all the things they've been trying to combat, that genie's going to be out of the bottle one more time. Am I accurate in that assessment? Well, I think the circumstances have changed. So uh, I'm not so sure that uh, there's going to be this ballyhooed Fed put uh, in an environment where uh, there's so much uncertainty regarding uh, the banking system. And we know the, the big banks, they're fine. This is not 08, 09. Uh, but there are big problems in the small and regional banks. Uh, this this game is not over. And we've already had a significant tightening in financial conditions. And as far as the stock market's concerned, how far is it going to go? I mean, earnings and earnings estimates are coming down uh, very notably. And in fact, we're heading into uh, a five-quarter recession in earnings. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Uh, you know, we're 15 months into a bear market. Uh, the S&P is down 18%. So we're going to get excited because there might be a short-term trade based on a Fed pause. Uh, I mean, that's really playing small ball. Uh, we haven't seen the full impacts. You're quite right. The jobless claim numbers are very low. Companies are still not firing. But if you look at the survey data, they're not hiring either. Um, the claims numbers don't tell you what companies are doing about hiring. It just says what they're doing about firing. So, yeah, they're, they're not firing people. I mean, they are, of course, in the headline numbers and some of the financials and technology, but the claims numbers are the claims numbers, and they're telling you about pink slips. But I don't think anybody's doing any hiring. So I think the claims numbers could still be consistent with the flat employment profile. Now, look, we got a very important number today, right? We got uh, the Philly Fed Index, uh, which came in at minus 23. It's at a recession level. Uh, when you look at the components, it's showing that the ISM is going down to, I mean, the, the, the ISM equivalent in the Philly Fed today, I didn't see this all day long. I watched CNBC all day long. Nobody mentioned the fact that the ISM equivalent uh, from the Philly Fed is 39, 39. Uh, so claims aside and all the other stuff, housing, which was all multifamily, it was not a single family story. It was a multifamily story. And that's good news because it means we're going to be flooded with rental construction in the next year that's going to take care of the rental inflation and the CPI. 
Does but I'd say the Philly, Fed, the, the Philly mm -hmm. Fed today got no press in the well, last two months. Huh? Well, thank you for, for making the point, David. We appreciate that's why we have <laughs> folks like you on. Um, but I wanted to ask you one last quick question, and, and that sure. is, does this, what happened in, over in the past week or so, um, what the Fed might do next week, um, does any of this change your outlook for the economy in terms of a recession, how long it may last, how deep it may be? It, well, it's reinforced the recession call because we've had a dramatic tightening of financial conditions. Mm -hmm. And what's going to come out of this, it, like it's not a wait 09, so I'll put my positive hat on. Um, but it's going to reinforce what's already been happening before this crisis, which is a tightening in lending guidelines. So we're going to go through a, a, a credit contraction. We have an economy that is driven by credit. Uh, and so I think that that is going to be problematic for the economy, is the fact that banks are now going to be much more focused on shoring up their balance sheets than they are in terms of extending loans to the private sector. Right. Uh, so I think that's what comes out of this, actually. Everything we've seen in the past couple of weeks brings the recession that much closer. Uh, hard to know how deep or long it's going to be at this point. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons, you know, look, the Bank of Canada heads up, you know, the 51st state up here in Canada. We're the 51st state, but we, we have good donuts and we have uh, great beer. Um, and they've already gone on hold. And I think the Fed is, is, is going to be next. Uh, and All don't right. forget, we, we, the economy resets with a lag to interest rates. We have not seen the full brunt of what's already happened. So, yeah, I think the recession starting, I, I'd say I'm not going to pinpoint it to the month or the quarter, but Q2, Q3 has a bullseye on its forehead. David, always great to get your take. Thank you. Take David care. Rosenberg, Rosenberg Research. Uh, Karen, what do you think? Yeah. Was he coming to us from Canada? Canada. I didn't hey. know that. I didn't know that. I'm curious. I mean, I don't know if it really matters what the Fed does, 25-0. I mean, 50 is kind of, I think, off the table. It's how quickly will we see the effects that David's talking about of this right. credit contraction? And will that finally get inflation to where the Fed can actually say we're pausing or maybe we're even done? Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen the reaction already in commercial real estate um, in REITs in particular office REITs, Tim, and I guess that goes to the notion of these regionals were very active in lending to these sorts of projects. That's where they got a lot of the funding. Um, so we're seeing in pockets of the market already this notion that, that lending will be restrained going forward. It's right. So commercial real estate, now everybody's looking at that. And, yeah. you know, all, all the cliches that are out there, perfect storm, et cetera. I, I mean, it's nice to hear a guy like David, um, who I think is, is appropriately and, you know, kind of thoughtfully skeptical and always is, say it's not 08, 09. And, and, and so on some level, taking it back to credit and taking it back to contingent into housing, um, I, I think, you know, you have to think about some of these things. The last couple of days, the market treated uh, the events as if we were heading into an 08, 09 kind of a, of a dynamic. Um, clearly, at least in the short run, we are not. We haven't seen that kind of blowout in broader credit spreads. Uh, but it gets back to the market. Certain subsectors are trading like we have a deep recession coming. And I, I, I think that's the place for investors. There's huge opportunities in stock picking in here. All right. Coming up, more in today's market action. Stocks rallying as banks find some relief. Plus, shares of Snap surging on a TikTok block from across the pond. Details on who can't use the app and the U.S. ultimatum that could follow. The details when Fast Money returns.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on the markets today, rebounding from this morning's losses, closing near session highs. The Dow jumping 371 points. The S&P climbing one and three quarters percent. The, S uh, the Nasdaq leading the surge up for a fourth straight day. Bitcoin also continuing its bounce back up nearly 18 percent since Monday, hovering just under the $25,000 level. And another look here at First Republic in the after hours. It is at session lows. The Wall Street Journal reporting bank execs sold $12 million in stock in just the last two months, including the executive chairman, the CEO, the chief risk officer, and the list goes on. All right, moving on to Snap. Uh, shares are surging more than 7% today. This after the UK banned rival TikTok on government employee devices. The U.S. threatening it could do the same if TikTok's Chinese parent company ByteDance refuses to divest its stake. Meantime, TikTok denying a report that it is in talks with potential buyers, telling CNBC it is, quote, 100 percent false. What do we make of this uh, snap surge? 100 percent is pretty, uh, I mean, that's pretty certain. Yeah. Great to deal, certainly. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, the snap surge. I think a lot of the Facebook surge has been on that, cost-cutting, all those things. So I guess to a certain extent it makes sense. I think snap is sort of, if you're trading it, is the hidden gem in this entire thing. This stock can go up another 40 percent on the back of this and still be a troubled company. But quickly in terms of this TikTok thing, because I, I do think it's important. If we want to ramp up the rhetoric, and probably we should be. I mean, I'm saying it's the probably right thing to do to ban TikTok. We have all seen the 60 Minutes. There's going to be repercussions for that. And I've said it 100 times. It has not manifested itself. I'm not wishing this. But you know who's in the crosshairs of that? Apple. And I don't think anybody's taking that into consideration. If TikTok were some lesser used app, <laughs> it would have been banned already. I'm sure. Just because too many politicians, children's will, children will go it's, nuts. There's a reason <laughs> why it's, you know, why it's eating the lunch. I don't know that's maybe exaggerating, right. but, you know, it's a huge being, competitor. It's a threat, right? Absolutely. To Meta, to and Snap, to Pinterest, all of, these all of them. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. You know, here's the thing. I, I like Meta and it's it's had a nice run partially on this TikTok mm -hmm. expectation of maybe something will happen. Maybe it won't. I don't know now how much is priced in on the hope that TikTok used to be free. You were getting that yeah. for free. It was a long shot. It, now you're paying something for it. I mean, Guy, to your point, you can trade Snap here, independent of whether it's right or wrong or it's enduring. This is, this is almost like a meme stock at this point. You're talking about something that lost almost 95 percent of its value. It's come up off its COVID low. You, you trade it long. And if you make some money, you take that money. Just as if you start to show a loss, get out. It's very much a trade and nothing else. Yeah. Tim? Look, I, I, you know, I agree with like everyone, you know, get off my front lawn, TikTok. I mean, I'm sure I sound like my dad and, and all that. I, I think the more important thing is I'll leave all that alone. I, I just think that the, uh, the social media media space trades totally differently than it did a year and a half ago. And there are reasons for it. It's not just TikTok. Um, all these companies have their own specific dynamics. And we know with Snap, it's iOS. With Facebook, we know it's meta and overspending and, and maybe saturation issues. We know um, with Google and YouTube, we know we can go down the list. We could go to Disney Plus. We could go to Netflix. But um, this entire group, uh, all with slightly different exposure, were sold immediately on, on recession fears. So they're, they're the first ones that priced in recession when there's other parts of the market that didn't. I think you stay in the space, and it's, just, it's not just because of TikTok. Coming up, investor anxiety skyrocketing, how the recent banking turmoil imp impacted sentiment. More on that next. And throughout March, we are celebrating women's heritage. Here's the president and CEO of Franklin Templeton. My advice to any leader, not just women, is what I call my four Ps. 
People, passion, purpose, and persistence. People, surround yourself with the best team you possibly can get. Passion, love what you do and you never work a day in your life. Purpose, describe what you do in a purposeful way such that people can get excited about and, and follow you on it. And then persistence. I think the difference between success and failure often is uh, how somebody responds when they fail, dusting themselves off and just getting right back into the game. Welcome back to Fast Money. The latest spate of bank failures has an investor anxiety skyrocketing and retail investors are scrambling to understand what is going on. Among the most highly searched questions, according to Investopedia, what is bank failure? What assets are protected in a bank failure? What is too big to fail? You get the picture. For more insight, let's bring in Caleb Silver. He's Investopedia editor-in-chief, friend of the show. Caleb, always great to see you. They're worried out there. Geez, these, these search queries are, are just a window into their psyche right now. Absolutely. High anxiety. Somebody find Mel Brooks because individual investors have been whipped around this week wondering what is going on. So we measure anxiety through what we call our anxiety index. This is search volume to fear-based terms around the economy, personal finance, and the markets. It is screaming like a toddler who just dropped its ice cream. First shock and then the complete tantrum that follows because they don't know if their money's going to be safe. And then they're watching this big sell-off that happened throughout the week in regional banks, wondering if this is going to contage, be contagious all the way through the markets, a very heady time for investors. Are they daring to go into bank stocks? Yeah, when we look at what not only they're searching for, but what products they're looking for, they're looking at the top bank ETFs. They're looking at the banks that have fallen the most. They're looking at inverse bank ETFs if they want to play it down or play it up. They are trying to get promiscuous on the edge. Not everybody, of course. Most people are saying, what is going on here? I thought we were through this already in 2008. Some of these terms coming back and just the psychological contagion is a lot for people. And that's why you've seen a lot of investors just sitting back and watching this play out this week. Caleb, you also do the $10,000 question. And number one is shocking to me, the answer. But speak to this because I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, ETFs were popular because they don't want to be stock pickers right now, although if you gave them some extra money, they would buy individual stocks. So individual stocks top on the list if they had the extra cash. That's not what they've been buying lately, according to our most recent survey. They've been buying a lot of CDs. They've been buying a lot of money market funds. We were having this conversation two months ago. Same thing, except leaning a little bit more into those safer products because things just don't feel right out there, even with these bail bailouts, don't call them a bailout. Even with these backstops, it just doesn't feel right for individual investors. And you've seen money flow coming out of equity, uh, mutual funds and index funds and into cash lately. So give me a sense of this level of anxiety compares to what was it when Russia invaded Ukraine? What, how, how anxious is this? Sounds very anxious. This is very anxious. Not, of course, March 2020 anxious, not Jan 2021 anxious, but right getting up there. But the anxiety is really around their personal finance right now. So searches for uh, foreclosure, forbearance, searches for what happens when my bank fails, are my assets protected? Those are the ones that have been spiking a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of market anxiety. That's been around since the last six, eight weeks, of course, and really the last year and a half, really. But really the anxiety is personal because people feel this personally first is everything that I've made protected? And then what can I do about this situation if I want to capitalize? The survey closed when? Friday? Survey closed Friday just as SVB was dropping, but we've been looking at the search activity since then because we didn't capture it in right. the survey. But the survey is also telling us what we knew all along. People are really cautious right now, wanting to put money into work, but just not sure it feels right. What would you anticipate these investors, these people who are searching terms, 
to do in the next week? I mean, you've seen this window before. You've seen this sort of happen before. What does it look like it's developing into? Yeah, I think people want to put money to work very badly. They've been waiting a long time to really do that. I don't think that they're going to see a green light necessarily to do that. But any hint of optimism or any hint of stability Uh is going to put them back into the buying mode. And they want to invest. These are habitual investors, self-directed. They've been doing this a long time. Average age is north of 45. So they've seen cycles like this. They're just anxious to put money to work. Caleb, it's always great to have you on. Thank Thank you. you. Caleb Silver, Investopedia. Coming up, more payment pain ahead when options traders betting Visa is everywhere you do not want to be. We will dive into the action next. Stick around. Much more Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Visa rebounding sharply off its lows, erasing a 3.5% drop to finish in the green. But options traders are betting this payment player is in for more pain. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Yeah, so Visa traded at almost 2.7 times its average daily put volume and puts outpaced calls. The busiest puts were the March 31st 205 strike puts. We saw about 2,900 of those trading. The buyers were paying a little over three bucks a contract. Now, I would point out that, as you just said, the stock did rally sharply uh, off of its low, and most of those traded by about 10 a.m., but the stock still did underperform both information technology and financials, and the buyers of those puts are betting that the stock could be lower by 5 to 7% by the end of this month. Tim, you like Visa? No, uh, I'll, I'll let Carter speak to the chart. I, I don't like that chart, but I, I you know, I, I think the values, the valuation is not terrible, but we all know the macro data around credit card balances and where the consumer is. And, and, and ultimately, look, the, the wealth effect that we've also were just talking about with both with Caleb and with Rosie, uh, you know, none of this really feeds well into credit card spending. So, no, I, I'm not chasing Visa here. Can you speak to the chart, Carter? I can. I can. And here's the thing. It's a pair of twos. It's <laughs> just the term. It's, it's, not, it's not a bull. It's not a bear. Sometimes stocks are where they belong. It belongs here. All right. For more options action. Mike, thank you. For more options action, tune into the full show, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trade. Time for the Final Trade. Let's go around the horn. Timothy. GM is not a regional bank, and I, I realize that the chart has been difficult, but this is actually at the bottom of a small uptrend from back last summer. GM for the trade. Carter, Braxton, Ward. Gold and oil. Oil is especially interesting here, way overdone to the downside. Chairwoman. Yes, on the heels of FedEx, I think some of the things will apply to UPS also. So UPS. We got Ranger hockey down the street tonight, oh, Mel. I know. The Penguins I... are in town, and you were talking about this earlier. Did the Rangers basically build upon the win the other night and just thrash the Penguins tonight? Definitely. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm with you on that. I'm also with this DHI trade, yeah. which is just unstoppable here, Tim. <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.